Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl, and welcome to episode 92 of Cage Rage and Nicholas Cage Podcast. It's the podcast in which I, your humble host and guide, Daryl Edge, take you, the lovely listener, on the journey to true Cage Nirvana. And what is that, you may ask? Well, it's simply the highest, most purest, most ethereal, most sexual, most spiritual, most physical most everything you will possible form of being one can achieve. And how is that achieved? You may ask. Well, very simple. We're going to watch all of the films the man I call the golden hog of Hollywood, Nicholas Cage, has ever made. How have you been? Hope you're well. Hope you've had a good week as we are deep in the heart and soul of this here May 2022, the year of our Lord, Nicholas Cage. Um, I'm recording this intro in a very uncharacteristic for you, boy. I'm actually recording this entire episode uh, a week early. Um, so by the time that you're hearing this, when it goes out um, on the weekend that it goes out, I will be away. I'll be in uh, in that there mythical land of uh, Ibiza for a friend's Stag, uh, you may remember uh, Joe from a previous episode who joined me along with my friend Fred and we talked about Trapped in Paradise, it's Joe's Stag and uh, going to be stagging it right up, doing stag things that stags do, lads, 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 I don't know, I'm going to die, it's, I'm, I'm a ginger in Ibiza, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, so if this is the last episode that you hear, while well, we go out on a banger, if it's the last episode that you ever hear, I probably won't die, but I might. And this week, we're finally, finally, finally wrapping up 2018. Uh, sorry that this one has come out a little bit later than I would have liked it to, but don't worry about it. We're here now, uh, and I'm joined by Lauren Malisi, who's joined me to talk about the very weird, very strange Between Worlds. Uh, this is a really fun episode. It was a tremendous joy to uh, record and put this one together. Uh, Lauren was a lovely guest, and in this one, we... Are not only talking about what this film even is, we're talking about eye acting, uh, we're talking about the frank, quite frankly wild sex scenes in this, uh, setting yourself on fire, and Nicolas Cage's process in channeling grief. Um, it's a lot of fun, you're going to absolutely enjoy it. All the links as per, are in the show notes and description down below for both myself and Lauren. So go check them out if you do so fancy, and feel free to leave a rating on your podcast listening platform of choice. Helps the show grow and is tremendously appreciated as ever by your boy. Also in this episode, um, apologies in advance for uh, sporadic and random noise in the background of the episode. Uh, when I started recording... For some reason, the street decided it was party time and lots of uh, tunage and things happened. It won't take away from the episode. It will be noticeable in one or two sections. Um, I've tried 
to edit around it as best as I can with my limited editing facilities, but just a little heads up on that as well. With that said and done, let's get right into it. It's episode 92, Daryl Edge, Lauren Malisi, Between Worlds. Enjoy. Duh. It is time to finally wrap up 2018, this week with the supernatural thriller Between Worlds. This week, Cage stars as Joe, a truck driver who meets a gifted woman that can communicate with the dead. Joining me on the journey to true Cage Nirvana this week to see if Between Worlds is out of this world or just on a different planet is poet, writer and podcaster Lauren Malisi. Lauren, thank you so much for joining. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm good. I mean, I'm a little bit worse after seeing this film, but I'm overall good. I mean, we, you, you were sort of talking briefly before we recorded about allergies, and part of me was thinking, has Between Worlds set off just a cage-related allergy? Um, which is understandable if you've seen this film. Um, <laughs> I didn't feel the same after watching it. And this is coming from someone who's watched a lot of Cage at this point. Um I'm assuming he isn't the underlying medical cause for any concerns that you may have. Um, No. (laughs) I always uh, like asking, though, at the top of episodes, especially with new guests like yourself, uh, for yourself, Lauren, uh, Nicholas Cage, the man I call the golden hog of Hollywood, um, your thoughts, your feelings, rate, hate, tolerate, uh, where do you stand on the man that is Nicholas Cage? Oh, I love him so much. He's my favorite actor. He's been my favorite actor for as, probably as long as I can remember. I used to have like a, a keychain that I got off Etsy that said like had strawberries all over it. And it said Nicolas Cage, 100% delicious with like an old headshot of his. And I wore that <laughs> on my keychain for years. Um, I have like an Excel spreadsheet of all 119 movies he's been in organized in what I've watched and what I haven't watched um like it's a problem um so this is in my (laughs) list of like put off uh or movies that like I just haven't gotten around to because this isn't this I had to watch this on Tubi it's not like it's like streaming really anywhere and it's not one that like people like bring up um so it's always been in like my like pile over there and now I know why um but like (laughs) I'll watch anything he's in like no matter how bad it is so it's it's always uh, very reassuring that there are other people on their own journeys of Cage Nirvana with their own Excel spreadsheets as well. Yes. I thought uh, that there's only select few of us out there. It's like it, it sounded like you're collecting Cage films like Pokemon. Um, kind of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was, what, uh, so you've got like all the films and you've, you've said this one was kind of like, and I don't want to say a low priority, um, but what what else have you got left on, on on your spreadsheet? I feel like there's a lot of 2018 movies um, on there that I like. There's like a there's like a weird pe- like gap where like I was really obsessed with like you know the early 80s 90s like stuff when he was still considered like you know or, like be- before he developed that reputation of being the dude who is in every movie all the time no matter like what, um, and then. I feel like there's that whole period of time where it's been like he's just like a a, a dad with like no kids or like a, a haunted like 
like widow with like a dead wife who died tragically somehow. So I feel like I've seen like eight of those. And then, <laughs> then there's like a, a big gap of like just the action movies that have no plot. Um, yeah. And, and the ones where he's like, a, he's like sort of a cop and like sort of a detective and that have like really low, 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 low ratings. I feel like you've described in like three sentences there about at least 20 of his movies. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, it, it gets to a point where like, and don't get me wrong, like I, I unironically love the man. Um, obviously for listeners, I've got a cardboard cut out of him watching over me at all times. I, I, I want that so bad. Like, where did you get that? How do I get that? Um, I want to just sort of loosely just say Amazon. Um, okay. Although my cat did systematically take him down, so you'll notice that behind me is at an angle. Um, he used to be <laughs> a very straight standing cage, and then he was on the floor for a few months, but I was like, I can't live with myself, though, and I didn't try to bring him back. Um, <laughs> so my my life basically became bringing out the dead, as I was haunted by the ghost of this cardboard cut out for a while. Um, but... 2018 especially is um, such a weird year for Cage. Um, it ends on Between Worlds. It starts on Mandy in between. Which was a really good movie. Oh, yeah. I've, I've... So it's weird that we would end with Between Worlds and start with Mandy. It feels like it should be the other way around. Yes. Um because the, the 2010s, obviously, a lot of straight-to-DVD stuff, a lot mm-hmm. of nonsense in there, um, and it was a difficult 10 years, I think it's fair to say, but it's kind of at a point, in, at this point in 2018, when it like was so close to the end of it, and that light at the end of the tunnel is like, it's reachable, uh, and you can mm-hmm. see it, but you've got to get through the likes of... Uh, a score to settle and two one one and the humanity bureau to get there. Um, yeah. And I'm again. I'm not sure how many of those you've seen. I'm not the same person after 2018 for Cage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are those are um, those are on my list of like, or those are like you know tucked away in the Excel, in the Excel spreadsheet of like those action detective movies that like I don't care any anytime he's playing like a sergeant someone I'm like okay this is probably isn't gonna be great um, like like I never saw the Frozen Ground because like I was like I know I'm not gonna like this I just know and then they then they kept casting him like in that same kind of role and then you look and they're like this movie has two stars and I'm like. Yeah, I'm just gonna shove these to like like the end, like, and we'll just we'll just put these over here, and then when I have to watch them, I will. And then you were like, "Guess what? We have to watch this one." And I was like, "All right, it's time. It's fine. It's okay." And I feel like I've been like a, a grim reaper of Cage for you here. Like I've just appeared in like a, <laughs> a cloak, and I'm like, "Between Worlds is coming." Uh, I was like, "Look, you asked me to be on this podcast, not the other way." I did. Around. I begged. Begged, I begged. I pleaded, and I said, um, <laughs> "It's like Oliver Twist again. Like, please, sir, can I have some cage?" And I'm like, "I'm the guy slopping gruel." And I've just gone between worlds, <laughs> um, and, you've, and, you, and you've had to accept this uh, this gruel that I've offered you. So I'm kind of sorry, not sorry, um, to do this to you. 
I'm, I, it's, it's like, I, I feel like I was going to get to it eventually. It, it's definitely a movie. So my mom and I, when we, when we're, when I hang out with my mom, we like to, we like to pick a purposely bad movie and then a purposely good one. So this is like the kind of purposely bad movie. I feel like her and I would end up watching and like getting a kick out of. Um, so it would have happened. It would have happened eventually. Um, it's, it is okay. I, I, this was my choice. This is what I elected. I wanted this. And, you know, beggars can't be choosers, I suppose. I mean, it, it also, I mean, it, it sounds like there's a hint of denial in your voice there, like you're on your deathbed going, no, I did, I did have a good life. I did have a good life. I did enjoy Between Worlds. Um, this this is kind of what I, this was a first time watch for me. Um, and it's one that I'd heard about throughout my cage ventures so far um, with people saying, this is kind of like an out of nowhere, pretty cagey performance. And I had a lot of things going on, like what what to kind of expect going into this film. But at the same time, nothing could ever prepare me for what it was that I actually saw. Um, and God bless the fact that this was less than 90 minutes, in all uh, honesty. Uh-huh. Even even now, when I did the intro, I was trying to find a way to like, oh, what's kind of like an intro to this film that sort of gives the idea of it, but doesn't give it away because this is this is a weird film to describe, mm-hmm. um, and to, to sort of <laughs> throw you like a fastball here. If someone asked you to describe this, the plot of this film, how would how do you think you would attack that question? The, the plot. I, mean, I could read you my angry letterbox review, um, but uh, it's it's like a it's like a lifetime movie that thinks it's a gigantic blockbuster that also thinks it's directed by David Lynch, um, but it's like this like down on his luck like like nomadic dude who's just so haunted you know by his dead wife and dead kid um, who like meets this woman who can you know like go go to like the other side but only if she's being like choked in some like weird ass way and that's kind of yeah and then we got a chick from vampire diaries who's like just really not not selling me on her being cast in the new star trek series uh and uh then like her friends come in at the end and are like useful for about five minutes and um that's yeah that's and that's that's like go skirting past all of just the weird not uh, the inconsistency in pretty much everything <laughs> and then nothing being explained but we only had 90 minutes so it's fine it's fine <laughs> again there's so, much, there's so much denial in your voice right now Oh, yeah. <laughs> I loved it so much. I'm just, like, lying. <laughs> it's... I mean, like, don't, I think at this point, in, I think just for me in general as a human being, and this is, like, Nick Cage movies aside, if ever I see that a movie is, like, 90 minutes or less, I'm like, oh, fuck yes, come on, let's do this. Um, but this is a movie that it, it is kind of confusing, and it kind of hits the ground running quite quickly, and doesn't really let up, and there's a few things that aren't really explained, and then it ends, and you're like, cough is kind of what I felt. But we're here now. It it kicks off with there's a girl drowning under ice, and then you're Mm -hmm. like, 
oh, there's two girls drowning under ice. And then uh, next thing you know, um, Nicolas Cage is at a gas stop beating up someone in the bathroom. And I'm like, help me. Um, what is happening here? Um, but then you you slowly get pieced together that um, there's a lady called Julie who was the girl at the start who nearly drowned, had an out-of-body mm-hmm. experience, and now she can, well, as the title go, between worlds, um, mm-hmm. and sort of kind of communicate in a way that's not massively explained with the dead, but only when she's being suffocated or choked. Um, mm-hmm. And then Nicolas Cage is a, the grief-stricken truck driver. Um and you kind of find out quite quickly that this is going to be quite a cagey performance. Um, yes. Because he's he's a very greasy-looking guy. Um, like, he's got this kind of weird kind of dad bod thing going off. Um, uh-huh. And then, what did you make... What did you make of, like, the way they handled that scene? Because they're kind of talking about their lives. Um... And then when Nicolas Cage is like, oh, here's a picture of my wife and my daughter. And she's like, oh, they look like a nice family. He goes, like, oops, they're dead. Oops, they're dead. <laughs> so, okay, something something you, you, you did not include when you were talking about the way the film begins. Okay, those opening credits in gigantic letters, we see music by Angelo Barlamenti. Okay, as in the man who gave us every beautiful sound in Twin Peaks. That's already saying, get ready. Like, this is going to be the best movie you've ever seen. You're welcome. Okay. (laughs) And then meanwhile, what we get is like very strong. So I was already like, okay, my expectations are very high. And then I was mad. Anyway, so we go go from seeing his name in big letters to then then Nicolas Cage going, oops, there it is. Which I laughed so hard at. Um, it just felt like he was in a different movie than everyone else. Like I, like his performance, I thought was really fun. It, like because I felt like he really leaned into the character as he always does. Even even if like he gets described as like you know over the top or like you know like the whole like cage rage thing. Mm-hmm. Like he, you can't you can't say he doesn't lean it heavily into every single role he gets and just really like become a. Oh, becomes an entirely different person <laughs> this is exactly the thing it's like i think there's something just i don't know perversely enjoyable for me at this point about these roles where cage is just being cage and everyone else mm-hmm. is acting in a different movie in a different movie yes <laughs> and i was gonna say there's there's like a in between that interaction alone with uh with julie who who is who i saw her face and was like oh my god it's run lola run no way she's an incredible actress she's probably going to be so good in this movie because run lola run is an incredible german film and uh and so meanwhile i'm gonna blame the writing on this one because like she her dialogue was completely wildly different like to Nicolas Cage's dialogue, character's dialogue. So every time they have a, they would have a conversation, it was like they were in two completely different films. And then like she was really mild mannered, and then he was just really gross. With the some of the score being by uh, Angelo Badalamenti as well, it's kind of like 
I think one of the ways I've seen this movie described online is like it's Twin Peaks meets The Room, but not as good as either. Oh my, oh my god! Yeah, that's that's <laughs> yeah. I I would I would put in like it for me. It is it very much feels like it like a Lifetime movie with a slightly bigger budget. And like I love life, I like unashamedly love Lifetime movies. But like it is very much in that for me in that way so so you add add one of those like lifetime supernatural like quote-unquote thrillers into it and then it's it's definitely all three it's doing a lot it's walking a fine line on a lot of stuff um like i think i I saw another review of this on letterboxd that someone had posted um i want to see if i can i can find it because they were um they said it was like walking a weird line between being absurdly genius and unintentionally hilarious and it doesn't quite know which one it's trying to be I feel like this is one of those movies where it definitely wasn't written to be comedic in any way shape or form yeah but it's kind of just it's ended up it's ended up with the movie that we've got and I feel like it's going to be um to, to sort of summon this image wickerman-esque nick cage wickerman-esque in the sense that they told you that they were trying to achieve like a horror film and then they've retrospectively tried to rewrite it and say oh no we knew we were making like a black comedy the whole time can't you (laughs) see that we knew that um i was looking at some notes for this and this was um written and directed by uh maria palera which hopefully i'm pronouncing correctly there and quite a scant um sort of a history of her work there's only one movie before this called falsely accused in 2016 so uh but it said she tried to write it as a straightforward thriller but then changed it into a very david lynch surreal drama um and it's obviously with angela badalamenti as well it's kind of got that uh that lynchian kind of style sort of floating all over it and and again, like I watched this film a few days ago, and I'm tr- I'm still tr- I'm still trying to process it. It's uh, Julie's daughter Billy gets in is in a coma because of a bike accident. Uh, Nicholas oh. Cage's wife and daughter are dead. Uh, Julie does some choky spirit walking, and Nicholas Cage's wife possesses the body of Julie's comatose daughter. And Nicolas Cage does a lot of banging. Um, uh-huh. th- this is, you know, for the Cage fans out there, and I'm talking, the, I'm not saying this was squinted, like, you know who you are, eyes. The Cage fans out there, this might be the most raw dogging he's done on cinema in quite a while up until this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. They're so, I guess, I feel like the sex scenes are like kind of purposely gross because he's, his character is supposed to be kind of gross. But oh my God, the, the scene where she's like making him recite like classic literature while they're banging is so I I really I really paused the movie after there and sat there for a second and like got up, got some water, took a deep breath and then pressed play. <laughs> it's like this film, if you're not prepared, <laughs> might induce panic attacks. Um and I I I assume because there are a number of sex scenes, I assume that this is kind of the intentional angle. And it's kind of like, not like, it is the furthest thing from like, um, I guess, kind of lifetimey 
romantic uh, winter side roaring fire log cabin on a polar skin bare carpet sex where the camera sort of pans to the right and onto a candle or something. Mm-hmm. This is just uncomfortable, ag- aggressive Nicolas mm-hmm. Cage <laughs> screaming uh kind of kind of sex and it is um it includes a great scene of Nicolas Cage's character Joe uh reading from a book called Memories by Nicolas Cage in the movie reciting dialogue from it um what did you make of that 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 fourth wall shattering scene i so I, I, it's interesting because you have like the, like before that you have the sex scene with Julie where he's, she, he's like, he's like, like literally in the middle of them fucking, he's like, he's like, oh, you know that part in The Exorcist when she like fucks the crucifix and she's like, fuck me, fuck me. He's like, can you say that? Can you say that like right now? And then, and I feel like that was purposely juxtaposed with like the, the read this like, this like literature bullshit thing like i i thought i was like, okay they're trying to set up a parallel here very interesting but also w- what does the book title say what am i looking at here like now i'm distracted once again i feel like there were so many scenes that like just pulled me out of the entire movie for example um julie has an american ish accent the entire movie until about like 27 minutes in to where she's just fully german for the rest of the film <laughs> that took me out <laughs> i think i wrote oh so now she's like full ger- okay like did I, did I hallucinate that um i think joe fucked the german back into her is what happened oh, there great um, Great, and I and I apologise for putting that imagery, re-putting that imagery <laughs> into your head. But if nothing else, we dive deep into the in between the lines here, and uh, make things make even less sense than they did before. Um, I I found uh, there's an interview that Nick Cage gave with I think it was Collider off the top of my head, um, and he was outright asked about that scene with the. Uh, the book titled Memories by Nicholas Cage um, mm-hmm. and sort of why it happened. And he basically said um, it was added in because, one, he found it funny and baller move, fair play <laughs> to you. And he says that basically any time there's an opportunity to break the fourth wall, you should. So, you know, does this take place in our world? Does it take place in some Nick Cage multiverse which, for some reason, the Nick Cage multiverse has been a very hot topic in recent episodes. The Nick Cage and the multiverse of sadness. Um, <laughs> and I am I cannot be unconvinced that a Nick Cage multiverse does not exist at this point. He was asked in that same anecdote, like, if that book actually existed. And I want a Nicholas Cage autobiography of, of some description so, so bad. Um, oh, so do I. He was asked what one anecdote would definitely make the book. Um, and he said it would definitely be the time he met Prince at Elton John's Oscar party in 96, the same uh, event where he would uh, win the Oscar for leaving Las Vegas. Um, mm-hmm. Because he, he said that was one of the sort of the, the greatest moments of his life, sort of approaching Prince, being denied a picture because Prince was basically spooked by cameras. 
uh, taking his oh, soul. Yeah. Um, but you think with Nicolas Cage, he's just got these kind of anecdotes just in his back pocket, and I want to know every single one of them. Yes, I I do too, man. I mean, what a life! What a life he's lived that I would <laughs> to be to well, be a I, fly I, on the wall. Yeah. I we were in my works like Slack chat yesterday. Like I brought up so someone mentioned that uh Henry Cavill's dog is named Kyle L. And I go, Oh yeah, like Nicolas Cage's son. And everyone went, What? And I went, Yeah, <laughs> Cal Coppola Cage. And they were like, What do you mean? Meanwhile, the other son's name is Weston. How do we go from Weston to Kyle L? I feel like Weston got a raw deal in the name department. <laughs> <laughs> because he, sh- he should have been at least named like I don't know like Krypton Coppola Cage or something <laughs> um, and then like to be to have been around when they were making the Superman movie that never came to be to just be in those production meetings with him or like to be there during when they when they filmed like those test shots that we have those pictures of like to just be there for that experience. The, the multiverse. This is what I'm talking about. There's, <laughs> there's a universe where Nicolas Cage is the greatest Superman of all time. Um, yes. But there was there was an interview he did recently. Um, promoting massive talent, where I feel like he someone asked him about this and. Obviously, with Flash just doing a bunch of uh, multiversal stuff, and Michael Keaton coming back as Batman as well, he was mm-hmm. asked about this, and he the, the interesting thing is he didn't outright say no, and he didn't rule out being Superman in that movie. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, so obviously now Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness has sort of come and gone. Um, there was unfortunately no no Ghost Rider. In, in in multiverse of madness, um, I'm, I'm darn. I am furious. Um, are you telling me Twitter lied again? Um, but there's a. Ch- I'm holding out a ridiculous hope that there may be a Superman. Um, if Ezra Miller has not been detained for crimes against humanity by that point. Oh man, can you imagine like you're just chilling in your hotel room in Hawaii and you know, you you don't think to lock your door because you just walked into your hotel and you just you're just sitting on your bed and then suddenly Ezra fucking Miller bursts <laughs> through your hotel door screaming and then just leaves. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I like it it's the idea that if you live in Hawaii, the chances of being um, aggravated by Ezra Miller are never zero. The, he, he's going to become like a Hawaiian ghost story that you have to check your bed for Ezra Miller before you go to sleep. Um, or never sing a song you enjoy after 7.30pm in case he just runs up and hits you. Um, which is genuinely terrifying. So, I mean, you know, speaking of terrifying things, obviously, again, this movie, um, (laughs) it was was said to be written with Nicolas Cage in mind as well. um, Oh, boy. And it allowed him to improvise a lot of scenes, which Mm. at at this period as well, um, 
I think we, you know, obviously we've come past Mandy. We've got we're not quite at peak yet, but he's doing a lot of independent movies. There may be some financial reasons for it, but he stated that he's always wanted to go back to his roots. He's supporting the smaller director, um, mm-hmm. getting involved with sort of projects that he, I think he thinks he can add something to. But I think a lot of the key is if you give maybe something in there is like oh there's a character who's got some drama and you can sort of play around with it and you also give cage the freedom to do whatever he wants he's going to say yes mm-hmm. to your project if he's got the opportunity to uh i guess bring cage the performance speaking of improvised scenes you may recall the not entirely unweird weird scene of him having a water hose fight with billy on the bike which was apparently improvised yes. as well. Oh. Um, how, how did that one make you feel? I feel like we're in therapy um, and I'm asking you just to dive deep into your thoughts <laughs> of this movie. It's like a weird that, turn. Was that before or after they started banging? You could, you could say that about any scene in this film. Oh, I mean, <laughs> before him and the daughter started banging. I feel want to say they'd at least been um some light shenanigans by that point as well. Oh, okay. Just and then and then like is that when like Julie's like watching through the window as they're both like playing with the hose? Yeah, like Julie's kind of suspecting something. Yeah. Um cuz he's at this point he's I think he knows because he accepts all what's happening very, very quickly. Um, yeah, which I found very unrealistic. I mean, a lot of characters actually accept things quite quickly in this. Because <laughs> when Julie does sort of the, the dream walking thing in the hospital towards the start, there's a nurse that's like, ah, "You shouldn't be spoken with spirits," um, mm-hmm. and then. Joe's deceased wife Mary possesses Billy and she says oh by the way I'm your wife and he's like that works for me let's bang um and that was then great. <laughs> that was great thank you um and there's Billy's friends as well and I forget which if it was Mike or Rick um the 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 one who isn't Sean Penn's son um, oh what what one of them was Sean Penn's... I'm trying to... Uh, Rick, it was, who is Sean Penn's son. He's the guy who gets shot in the scuffle. Oh. The, were the dumber one? Uh, the dumber one. Hopper Penn. Oh, okay. Um, and it was yeah. Mike, played by Garrett Clayton. Because uh, he goes to Julie's house later on. Um, and she's yeah. like... So, listen. Ghosts. And he's like, yeah, I'm on board. When do we leave? Um, he, yeah, at the uh, end, he's like, he's like, he's like, you, he's like, he's like, who are you like, possessing Billy's body? Like, how dare you? And I'm like, how do you believe this already? <laughs> it's been like not even like a few minutes. What do you mean? Like, you really went from being like, what the fuck is going on to like, let me go interrogate the spirit possessing like my BFF's body. Meanwhile, <laughs> it's my fault that there's even a spirit in her body in the first place. I mean, they're two weird characters who kind of like, I don't, I still don't know really what purpose it was that they served to be like, oh, we were there and we kind of felt sorry. But then there's 
a bit where Billy's back home and Rick and um, uh, other man can't even remember his name, Mike, uh, come to the house and like, oh, are you okay? Like, can you remember stuff? Do you remember before? And the way they were asking, like, if she remembered before the accident, kind of made me feel like they were going to be like two creeps who were kind of yeah. There was going to be something much darker there. And then they mm-hmm. kind of did nothing with it. And I'm like, I don't know how to feel about you now. Yeah, I thought they were setting up to be like, you know, like, oh, good. She doesn't remember anything before, which means we're not going to get in trouble. And then we just never came back around to that. And I was like, uh, okay. So that happened, I guess. <laughs> and then there's only fruit roll-ups and waffle fries in the house. That's the only other thing I remember about those two. <laughs> They are living a life many can only dream of. Um, and then, just... and then, and then uh, Mike is killed. No, Rick is killed. Um, yeah. And then Mike is just accepting. And and then I kind of imagine that scenario, though. You know, if, if you'll p- permit me, like someone comes to you and says, look, this is going to sound crazy, uh, but... My daughter's been possessed by the ghost of a guy I met three days ago. I need you to choke me. (laughs) How do you you react to that? When you put it that way, it's like, what the actual fuck? Like, I, I feel like, I guess, like, he had already accepted, like, his friend was just killed and everything is absurd right now. So, sure, let me just go with it. But, like... If it were like me, I probably would have. Re- I probably would have just like smacked her in the face, like, <laughs> <laughs> like my BFF just got murdered by the dude you're sleeping with, and this is what you're saying to me. Like, I probably would have just like pistol whipped her, and <laughs> like, what do you do in that moment? It's like I've, you know, I am not a cop, but something here is off. <laughs> blink twice if you're under if someone's got a gun to you right now and she the whole movie she's so calm and cool about the visiting the other world thing and the you need to choke me thing and like even when like in the hospital in the beginning when when Billy's like heart the heart thing is beeping and they have to like resuscitate her or whatever she's just like come here come with me quickly and then and then like they're in the they're in like the stairwell she's like okay she had to choke me and he's like all right let me drink the rest of the alcohol in this flash let's go but like she's so chill like she they, they it's almost like to the point where the moments where she's supposed to like really react like she still doesn't react enough like when she when she catches them sleeping together she's like ah oh, oh my god you're gross <laughs> and I'm like, that's it. <laughs> I wouldn't have gotten a pot. I would have started chasing him around the house. I would have like, like, what do you mean? <laughs> that's all you can say is put your dick away. You're gross. Like, also, what were those underwear that he was wearing? Like, what was he when he walks outside? It's just like all focus is on that bulb. I mean, not complaining. Um, <laughs> it's. I mean, just the presentation of, like, Joe is just... Again, like, the grief accounts for so much, but he's just a gross man. Like, he's he's just 
down. He's just like lank and greasy. And he says at one point, he's like, oh, I uh, I smell like three days on the road. But I think Julie's yeah. still like, uh, raw dog me. I don't care. Yeah. Um, you know, do those aggressive raw dogs that you're famous for. And my note was just, coffee is everywhere. Um, oh my god and then they but the lamp is like broken you hear the glass and then the flip's the end of the scene and then the lamp is fine i mean that annoyed me that's the power of cages (laughs) hog it fixes things it fixes I i was like i know i heard a crash i mean was it a pelvis was it a lamp can we know for sure um, oh I feel like he's just held his hog like a wand and got said like, and then it's just fixed shit. Um, <laughs> it's it's got magic properties, and that's what I'm getting to the bottom of on this on this podcast. It's it's moonlighting as a cage hog investigation podcast, really, if nothing else. Um, <laughs> there's, I get, I know what you're saying as well, though, because it's such. A strange reaction, but she she sort of alludes to it throughout um, before they start cluing on that Billy's not who they think they are. Because she she says yeah. something like, um, "Oh, B- Billy's gonna." There's that weird scene as well where they just start like laughing hysterically, and it's like, "Oh, Billy's gonna give you the uh, the goo goo eyes." And they go, "Goo goo eyes." Yeah. Yeah, like oh yeah, that also while she's like while she's like standing in the hallway, like watching them laugh, and while they're absurdly laughing, she's standing in the hallway with this like menacing ass look, and I'm just like, okay, we have another like like juxtaposition parallel thing going on. Okay, great, a lot of lot of that and the directorial choices here, got it. But like, it just oh man, it just. Every, every time him and Julie, like I like had like some kind of like intimate moment, it it was it always broke into some very kind of absurd dialogue, it, and and it, and his but his reaction his interactions with other people in the movie are not like that, and I, and I just wondered like what what why. I mean, it's an existential question that you posed there. Um, <laughs> He was asked about his on-screen laugh in an interview that I found as well, and I assume it was kind of referring quite explicitly to this the Google Eyes um, scene. Um, and Cage said, um, most of the things I find funny are things that are unorthodox or taboo or shocking or just plain uncomfortable. I like watching people squirm. So those scenes that we have in the movie that were cringe and squirm inspiring is what made me laugh. So I would approach it from that angle. Um, so he just lent full hog into the cringe stuff. Um, <laughs> so it's so it's it's basically any time that you felt like this is grotesque, what is happening to me? I feel dirty watching this. Cage had you in the palm of his hand the whole time. You were puppeteered by the master. And yet, the whole movie's tone is take this movie as seriously as humanly possible. So, okay, Cage, okay. Honestly, like, forget Michael Caine's, like, masterclass on acting. I think we need Nick Cage to give us, like, a 90-minute-long masterclass. (sighs) 
You don't understand that I would put any number down on a blank check to get that masterclass. <laughs> like, I, I do not have a lot of money. Um, I am perpetually broke all the time. But I would give every penny I have <laughs> to be... All I got out of... Yeah, because, yeah, like, okay, all I got out of Michael Caine's 90 minutes on YouTube was don't blink during scenes. Is that... Don't... don't yeah, he said, don't blink because it makes you more convincing. So I bet Cage would just give us something, just some something useful, but equally bonkers. I'm just, I'm just processing Michael Cage going, don't blink. Don't you don't blink. blink. Yeah. Don't you dare blink. <laughs> don't ever blink. You could, you could feel the ice water. Don't you dare blink. Don't. Master Wade, don't blink. Um... <laughs> If that's, that can't be this, I mean, I know you can say Stanislavski this and acting greats that, not blinking can't be the secret, surely. That's all I really got from it. Like, that was like the highlight for me. And my my sister goes to NYU Tisch, she's about to graduate, you know, so she's been studying acting for four years. And I told her this and she was like, what? And I was like, yeah, apparently you've been doing it all wrong for four years. So she get a, she get a refund from NYU. <laughs> So you, you've you've gone to you know from what I understand a fairly prestigious uh, place of education and you've yes. been absolutely robbed because yeah. like, you've I'll, been blinking for four years. So I don't mean to act explain because I don't have any skin in the game here. But what you need to do is lose those eyelids. <laughs> They've been holding you back for years. You need to clockwork orange, just like pin these things open, oh. um, because the acting world. Is laughing at you. Your eyelids are weak. You're not getting any gigs <laughs> with those eyelids. Um, Meanwhile, there are many Nick Cage movies where I feel like he is his his eyes are closed for like a significant portion of the film, like while he's speaking. I mean, I feel like I've been put in this rock and hard place position now. Of who do I believe, <laughs> Michael Caine or Nicolas Cage, in terms of acting? <laughs> yeah. I feel like I need to rewatch The Weatherman now and just for like, because I really enjoy that oh movie. My God. And I need to rewatch it to see if Michael Caine blinks. And if he blinks once, I'm going to tell you, you fucking poser, you liar. Okay. Comment, comment on that YouTube video going, well, actually, um, he blinks at minute 42 here. So um, this entire video is bullshit. <laughs> This movie needs to be deleted from the records because Michael Caine blinked approximately seven times. Seven times. And I will not Does he elaborate. blink in Batman? Does he blink? And now I have to watch Batman again. Like, but I feel like a master, Nicholas Cage masterclass would teach us the art of improv. And But improving so hard that you piss off whatever director. Um, Although, although he didn't, he apparently didn't start the improving thing until he worked with Lynch, and Lynch inspired him to get into the whole like improv thing. So it's his fault. Um, but I, I just love that like so many directors have been so angry with him throughout the years for him wanting to just spontaneously change things, and I feel like that'd be lesson one: piss off the director. You're welcome. <laughs> lesson one of Nick Cage acting is that there are no lessons. Uh, the, <laughs> there is a the script is optional is lesson two um lesson three 
I, th- I think it's 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 got to be something. Novu Shamanic has got to be about expressive acting. If Michael Caine isn't blinking, then I feel the polar opposite of that needs to be um, make your eyes wider than your scene partner. <laughs> <laughs> you have to outstare them. Otherwise, you're pathetic and you're a disgrace to the art. Yes. I, I, I don't, I, oh my God, I would love to see both of them just on a panel about acting together. I feel like they need to have a staring contest, honestly. I want to, I want to see Michael Caine, Nicolas Cage, and, um, oh my God, why, why is, oh, and Daniel Day Lewis. I want to see the three of them on a panel together. And I just want to see how that would go. <laughs> Blank check. Blank I would pay, check. Yeah I, would, yeah, I would pay all the money for that. Any money, I will fly anywhere in the world. I will do anything, 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 anything. Oh, add Meryl, add Meryl Streep to the panel. So we've got uh, Nicolas Cage, Michael Caine, Daniel Day-Lewis, Meryl Streep for an eye-acting <laughs> masterclass, if nothing else. <laughs> if nothing else, yeah. They say the eye is the window into the soul, and all these other poser actors have not been channeling the eye um, yeah. up until this moment. This is a revelation. <laughs> this is the kind of things that these this podcast aims to do. It's blow, yeah, you know, to quote Michael Michael Caine, blow the bloody doors off, um, <laughs> and that that is exactly what we're doing here as well. Um, I was also reading about. Um, Nicholas Cage's acting process for this movie, and he said he was channeling a lot of grief for this movie. I, th- I think this is quite a lot of his 2018 work, um, especially bled into Mandy because he said he was still processing mm-hmm. the death of his father, uh, a recent divorce. He'd broken his ankle mm-hmm. whilst working on um, 211, and he'd been in a wheelchair for three months. Um, and I think he brought a lot of that into Between Worlds as well. But in a very cage way, there was something very specific he said about the grief that he was channeling. And he said, you know, often the, you know, in this kind of time and space, you can just look at the world and find something that's really upsetting and you can sort of channel that and just be moved by it. Um, and I'm about to say something here, and I don't think you're going to predict what Cage said, how he channeled his grief in this. <laughs> So prepare yourself. He said his inspiration for grief in this movie was the story of a toddler that fell into a pit of African dogs at a zoo. I'm going to let, let that hold. That sounds... What? That sounds fake. It <laughs> sounds so fake. <laughs> I feel... Did you, did you Google this after you read this? Look... I don't have time for fact-checking, right? And I know that's very right-wing of me to say, which I am not. I will put that on record. Oh, it's real. Um, oh, it happened at, It happened in Pittsburgh. Classic wow. Pittsburgh, toddlers falling in zoos. Um, I know nothing wow. about Pittsburgh. I don't know if this is a Pittsburgh thing. Oh, my gosh. This happened, wait, it happened in 2012. Why was he, why was he channeling... That from 2012. When was this movie in production? <laughs> if you get a ticket to the panel, then you'll find out. <laughs> this is exactly what. Oh my I'm... god! 
it kind of makes you think that, like, does he have a scrapbook of grief that he just, like, dips into? It's like a Sherlock Mind Palace thing, but it's just for trauma. Um, and he just dips in a toddler here and there, a car crash, an explosion. What else is in his playbook? This is the, this is the blank check that I'm signing to find out on that panel. This is I. This is one of the most horrifying things I have read in like recent. It's okay. All right, Nick. I'll give him that. This is one of like the worst things I've probably ever read. So okay, I'll give him that. Also, they were they were literally like cheetahs. <laughs> Jesus Christ! That's like, uh, a title didn't stand a chance. Yeah. Well, they think he fell from the like both they think he died from the fall because he like fell like on his head um but like the parents also were holding him over the railing what <laughs> like every, like okay like to quote wendy williams death to all of them <laughs> like every, every, every like every everyone here is at fault i am angry i mean this is this is how you lose toddlers that's how you. Oh, this is like, this is like a thing. Oh, I'm sorry. So there was African dogs, and then the cheetah pit is a different story that happened in Ohio the year later. So Cage had a wealth of zoo options to pick he, from he here. Had, he had so much. Oh God, there was like a whole like three year period. Oh, and then the year after that, a jaguar pit. African dogs, Arkansas. cheetahs, jaguars. Um, so these are not isolated incidents people love dangling their kids over wild cats (laughs) Cage had so much to pull from I mean if he was was at just like a buffet table of hors d'oeuvres going ooh trauma num 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 I'll have a bit of that put that on the plate so you can so so he was trying to channel a, 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 a father or a parent who has witnessed like a child being like torn apart by zoo animals. That was... does kind of make sense for his performance throughout the entire film. So, I mean, you just <laughs> it does, it does. And in what other context can you ever say that sentence than this movie? <laughs> this movie. When he's raw dogging his partner's daughter who is possessed by his dead wife, he's thinking about jaguars. <laughs> and he's and he's screaming like a wild cat. You know what I oh, mean? Oh yeah. What what were those like like those were not just like regular sex grunts. Those were like exasperated like call of the wild fucking. Like what was that? <laughs> Feral is what it was in Feral, my notes. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know and like like I love when he does like a very absurd shit like that. But it was just the fact that he was the only person in this movie playing into any kind of absurdity and everyone else was so chill. <laughs> this is the thing, because obviously we talk about like the Lynchian inspiration on this. You compare it with okay. a film like Wild at Heart, where, um, and maybe even to an extent, something like Raising Arizona, when the height and world of the film everyone's playing into it so the absurdity feels natural because no one feels Mm -hmm. out of place but then you get something like this where 
Cage is thinking about cheaters. He's raw dogging ghosts, screaming in camper vans, going, um, and then everyone else. And you, you get the inflections spot on. I've watched, I've had a lot of time to watch Cage and it has become my life. Um, I've, I've become the Cage guy in my circle. Um, and I say, so I can't have anything else. Um, but, th- but this is what has, has happened now. This is a lot of screaming. There's a lot of raw dogging. As we've been saying, Judy takes it so well. And then she, and circling back to what we were saying here about her walking in on like seeing like Joe and Billy, she's gone back to the hospital to speak to the nurse who conveniently has knowledge about the spiritual world and possession and mm-hmm. ghosts. Um, and then the nurse is just like, I think your daughter's possessed by his wife. And then just like backs off, shrugging like, nope, nope, nope. and Judy's like, yeah, that checks. Yep. Yeah, and she's she, she's like, you know, people are supposed to die. So you're like, you're like not supposed to just like go bring people back. So like, maybe don't do that. <laughs> it's like, th- this is what happens. Y- your daughter will get possessed and hogged by Nick of this cage. I can't oh, keep ho- telling. Hogged. Oh my God. That's more like, that is like the worst way I've ever heard that <laughs> put before. <laughs> um, I I regret nothing. Oh, um, yeah, I can. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's well, this is this is what I mean though. It's such like, it's such a weird film. But and but the, these scenes are so plentiful that they shouldn't stand out. They shouldn't stand out. Mm-hmm, they, they should not stand up, but they do. This is the thing. Like I I don't want to be the guy. Like when I'm trying to sleep, I'm just thinking about Nick the sketch going. <laughs> but, <laughs> But this has been tormenting me for the past, like, 48 hours. And I've seen Doctor Strange 2 in that time. And I've been thinking about Nicolas Cage, thinking about cheaters. Um, And it's like, I'm 30 years old. I want to live my life and move on. I want to be free, but I can't. Um, But then We have to talk about the ending of this film. Absolutely. Um, Because it bothers me more than the entire rest of the film. So, so I think to like bring us up to speed here. Obviously, we've been saying a lot of sex scenes. Everyone mm-hmm. is just okay and aware that Billy's been possessed by the ghost of Mary. Uh, Joe has been convinced by Mary possessing Billy, so they they've run away to the house that they used to live in. We sort of find out previously in the film that um, a fire happened and that took um, Mary and his daughter Sarah's life, uh, and now Julie. With Rick on board, um, fresh from a choking that she's game for, um, <laughs> have sort of pursued to try and stop them. Um, so we get to this point, uh, they're in sort of the charred house, and then we get these the confrontations and the revelations as well, and the twists. Um, so to sort of you know throw the ball to you, Lauren, like, we're in the ending, we're kind of in like the last 15, 10, 15 minutes. Uh, where where was your head at this point? What did you make of the ending? Oh, so just okay. So first, when we get this whole like like ev- suddenly everyone has a gun. Okay, cool, good good for everyone involved. I'm glad that everyone has a gun. So everyone's holding each other at gunpoint, but not Nick. Nick's on the floor. 
chasing the hallucination of his like d- dead daughter and he's like crawling towards her on the floor while everyone else just like it happens to be holding each other at gunpoint and then we learn well before that in the middle of that we learn that that his wife actually meant to kill the kid but that didn't make any fucking sense and then I got really angry because like you're telling me that like for all we we went through all of this just for her to give some like bullshit muddled reasoning for like wanting to like set the kid on fire um which like didn't make any sense and they're like okay so if we can kill her now it's because we learned that she's evil because this whole time we didn't really have a reason to kill her duh because like they're gonna get back together or whatever and then now we're like oh my god convenient we have a reason to kill her in these final moments good job everyone high five gunshots and then (laughs) and then Nicolas Cage decides the best way to remedy everything that he has experienced in the last, I don't know, two weeks or something at this point is to set himself on fire in the <laughs> wor- in what I would call the worst CGI <laughs> fire I have ever seen. And it, yeah. it's funny because there is a um, that SNL uh, like recurring bit, like get in the cage where Andy Samberg was, was Nicolas Cage on Weekend Update. There's there's one where he I'm trying to remember who he whether actor he had with him but he's describing the movie the guy's in he's like he's like it ha- it has the elements of every classic Nick Cage movie and one of the elements is everything is on fire and I was like oh that's a ghostwriter joke ha 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 and then I'm like oh my god he's setting himself on fire Andy Samberg was right <laughs> it's a classic element <laughs> it's like up to that point it's like you know here we are now it's that it was such like a weird twist to like and i think you get the idea that um you can't really trust uh mary anyway because she's been saying and you get these like flashbacks throughout the film and it's like oh i'm not good on my own you can't leave me on my own you shouldn't have left me on my own and joe's been dealing with that sort of torment of thinking this was all his fault then she was like, mm-hmm. um, oh, yeah, I'm a bad person and I burnt a child alive. And then suddenly he's just crawling towards a jack in a box going, Sarah, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> and then douses himself in gasoline, head to toe. And he said the CGI, mm. I saw that and I was like, you know, like, I'm not in the mindset to set myself on fire but if i was based on this movie looks kind of comfortable um, it did he was not burn. he did not give any indication that he was burning at all he's just like cool this is cool but <laughs> like there there was water in this can that also it didn't even look like gasoline they could have made it look more oily like mm. That man just doused himself in water and lit a cigarette and they were like great great work nick cut <laughs> and then he lights a cigarette, puts it out on him on his burning corpse, his burning body. Mm-hmm. Um, like this point, Julie's been shot by Mary. She's in the ghost mm-hmm. realm. I think I blacked out for like a minute because she somehow, I don't know if they fight in the between world realm, but she spooks Billy back into her body, and yeah. then Billy and Mike just run off and leave, and like. Yeah. Um, yeah, we should probably just go. I forgot Leader of the Pack was playing as well. The song Leader of the Pack yes. is playing whilst Cage sets himself on fire. Yes, <laughs> which I was really annoyed. 
I, we I feel like we lost Angela Bottomendi's like score at some point during the film, and then it just ended up being I don't know. It like like <laughs> it was so painfully like like let's make this sound like Twin Peaks, like like the music playing when he's getting a cup of coffee in the hospital. Um, you you hear that like you hear music that sounds like Audrey's dance. And then at some point in the film, we completely lose that. And then leader of the pack is playing. I was like, I want my money back. Even though this movie was free. And I watched it with like eight ads in between. <laughs> so I'm, I'm in a mental deficit and I want that back. I want to be back in at an even playing field. It's, it's almost like Angela Badalamenti sort of saw an early cut of the film and thought, look, I'll give you three songs, but I can't see this through to the end. I'm tapping out. Um, and I'm like, oh, well, I guess we're doing leader of the pack then. Um, and then, and then they all burn, and then Billy and Mike flee to go and I don't know, just accepts that that this happened and just move on as quickly as they did with this film. And then something really weird as well. I wanted to ask you about. You get that? It's something that sort of touched upon in exposition earlier in the film. Um, but you get this epilogue with the young Joe who sh- who like shoots his abusive father dead, and it was like, like, like I said, they, they touched upon it earlier to like, oh, I had like a bad life, but dad's a bit of a piece of shit, and that felt just like a scene that was deleted and added in and should yes. not have been the epilogue of the movie. Yes, I was so annoyed. Like, first I was like, oh, yay, this movie ended so stupidly abruptly and, like, with nothing and, like, with the, with the guy that was really annoying and Billy being, okay, great, we're going to get something else. And I was like, this is the... <laughs> <laughs> I was so annoyed. I was like, how does this make sense at the end? It doesn't. He's already dead. Is this supposed to like tell us like why else he decided to like light himself on fire? Because like that's not working for me. Yeah, it 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 didn't add anything. It just felt just not that the movie isn't jarring enough at this point. And then you're like, why do I need this backstory now? The man is on fire. Um, <laughs> the man without a truck isn't a man. He's on fire. Oh, I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> a man without a truck isn't a man. Um, poor guy, he's been through a lot. Yeah, which we learn, which we're supposed to get reinforced, like after he lights himself on fire. Like, shouldn't that have been like a he's like le- he's like sleeping on the couch and then like he's having like a nightmare about that or something? Like that would have made more sense. But even so, did we need that backstory for the film at all? Not really. No, like they should have done it a lot earlier um, if they were going to do it at all. If he wanted just to add more to his uh, his grief and his backstory, and even then, did you? I, I think a dead wife and child are quite enough in terms of grief backstories. Um, I don't think you need needed to add any more on there. Um, but it was, it was, you know, an an interesting way to top up his 2018, as we've been saying. And I looked at the Rotten Tomatoes score, and critically, this got 32%. But but the audience score was 81%. Like, a lot. What? Uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm leaving. 
<laughs> well, thanks for coming. It's been a great episode. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. <laughs> I, I watched I watched a movie recently with a very high audience score, and I was like, Rotten Tomatoes. We we need to abolish Rotten Tomatoes because what is everyone else watching? I don't understand. What movie was it? It was called, it was an Irish movie. It was an Irish vampire movie that I thought was really stupid. Something oh, the boys from County Hell. And I watched it with four other people who also agreed this is so bad. And the audience score was like 86%. And I was like, what do you mean? But then all the letterbox reviews like, if you're American, you're not gonna understand this movie. So that's why your score is low. This should the only Irish people should be should be allowed to rate this movie. And I was like, okay, fine. I'm really sorry, God. Lauren, but this this is an Irish movie for Irish people. You wouldn't you wouldn't get it. You just wouldn't understand. I'm so sorry. I, that was okay. I wish I could just do that. That was so like perfectly like you between that and Cage Cage's inflections, like you're you're killing it. Thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> you know the, the the secret sauce is illness um, <laughs> like, like I said you know people can't be trusted um, my audience score of 81% so there's, insane. Uh, there's people out here who dug it and enjoyed it um, for better or worse and again I was looking on Letterboxd and it is it's a, a really sort of mixed bag, a lot of two stars. It's either t- a two-star review or it's a five-star and they loved it. Someone described it as the greatest batshit Nicolas Cage movie from 2018. Suck it, Mandy, is what one review said. Oh, my God. How dare. Just just how I'll dare. Find, I'll, I'll, I'll find you, whoever you are. What's your at? Turn your location on. <laughs> I just want to talk. Location on coordinates, latitude, and longitude sent. Gauntlet thrown. <laughs> uh, like a, a five foot one girl with like a shitty Jersey accent just shows up to your door and it's just like, "Hello, I saw your letterbox review. I'm ready. I'm ready to fight to the death." <laughs> I heard you talking trash. Um, you talking and um, absolutely the fuck not. So either you erase this review or edit it. Or add an addendum, or let's go. <laughs> or you're about to get possessed by a dead man's wife. You're like, Whoa. you know what's so funny is like the wife was played by Lydia Hurst, and I just watched Titanic six six six, which stars Lydia Hurst in the pretty much same exact role, which is haunted woman with intense haunted face who is actually evil, who does a lot of standing and looking. And then has like ulterior terrible motives, and I'm realizing I think that she is typecast for her intense face, and that that's every movie she's ever going to be in is woman who stares menacingly. <laughs> it's a way to make a living. Uh, <laughs> you know, we're we're talking about face and eye acting in this. There is a niche for every eye. That's that's what yeah. I'm learning today. And I think it's you know got to get into, got to get into the eye game. Um, asking around what people thought about this as well. I had a reply from Marco saying the Cage knew what kind of movie he was in and decided to embrace it, do whatever he wanted. 
No fucks given. This is one greasy, shameless performance. Five stars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that. It was uh, like, okay, fair. But also blocked. Um, <laughs> I'm Rotten Tomato said, definitely in line with some of Cage's stranger efforts between worlds is too silly and messy to call it good, even in a weird way. Like, I, don't, I just don't know that I could give this justifiably give this a star rating because it's just by cage standards it's a weird movie i might watch it again one day and be like this is this is cinema this is genius i might watch it again and think this no no more for me um but i suppose you know we're talking about this as, as we i guess as we sort of sort of start wrapping up here um what would be your final thoughts on between worlds um, which says it all. it's not even it's not even like 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 bad in the way that i would love to just like watch it again like if it was like because a, a lot of like growing up and having having direct tv was like having a hundred movie channels and they're just being random shit playing all the time and sometimes you you let something play and it's like the best movie ever and sometimes you let it play and it's really bad, but you're like excited when it comes on again at 3 a.m. Because like you take comfort and that you know what you're going to get and you're like, this is kind of fun. Um, I'm trying to think of a, like a good, oh, like Catwoman. Catwoman is so bad, but it's so much fun. I could watch Catwoman all day and not be angry about it. This movie, I would be angry about it if I had to watch it again, I think. <laughs> Mainly because I went in with no expectations. You, you, you. I have five Twin Peaks tattoos, and you flash Angela Bonaventi in bold, and so then I go in with no expectations. Suddenly, I have high expectations, and then you give me very. I knew it was going to be bad from the first few directorial choices, where we we have an we have an opening shot of a butt crack at the gas station, and then <laughs> we immediately cut. To her being choked in the bathroom and cut back to him sitting there on the phone. Like, I just knew it was going to be bad. And so, and then it just gets really, also, there's way too much weird sex for me to have it on, like, in the background. Or to just, like, <laughs> watch it again and be like, oh, yeah. Because, like, it's just so, like, but, Man, and then like the ending is it made me mad, and then the I would I will probably go back and watch him light himself on fire again because <laughs> the fire looks the CGI fire looks so pretty. <laughs> it does. Like why is why is it so purpley and sparkly? It's uh, it's that cage aura. That's all I'm saying. If, he he burns different. Anyone listening right now, if you're thinking about ever lighting yourself on fire, don't watch that movie because it'll it'll make you think it's gonna be a good time. <laughs> so, <laughs> he stands so the, there and everything's purple. So the, the biggest critique of this movie is that it gives a false impression of self-immolation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's where you really drew the line. If nothing else. If not, if nothing else, that. But I was just like, I could see, like, where there were some really good ideas. Like, I'll be not, I'll be nice for a second. There were like, I could see where there were some really good ideas in the film. I don't know. I I tried to think of another way this woman could vi visit the afterlife besides like the stupid way of being choked. 
because like you can't just stab her every time you know so I understand why choking ended up being like a thing but like I just it just felt like so quick like 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 the budget only called for a 90 minute movie or something so we had to make sure everyone was okay with literally everything within like the first like 30 seconds of being introduced to it and then everyone's like okay and then there and then like and then Julie's germ like full German again and then and then and then she goes back to having an American accent and then she's German again and then everyone has a gun and then everyone dies and and then we get an epilogue that should that should have been in a flashback in like to to explain why he went and saved Julie in the bathroom in the first place this movie is a trip uh, if that if <laughs> if if your summation did not make that clear that you're going to go through a lot of emotions you are going to want to set yourself on fire by the end of it um, but also you're going to think about feral cats whilst Nicolas Cage is screaming. Um, and I, I don't know what else to say about this movie. I'm so confused and uh, upset <laughs> and I can't quite quantify why. Um, so I need to spend the rest of my weekend processing that trauma. Um, <laughs> but on, on that bombshell, I think as we come to the end... Lauren Malisi, thank you so much for joining me on the journey to true cage nirvana to um, <laughs> self-immolate ourselves, literally, oh. metaphorically. Uh, for the listener, where can we find you online and socials and uh, anywhere such else? I am at Motel Siren on pretty much everything, including my very shameful TikTok and um yeah, I write for Games Radar, and I recently ranked, which was so hard. Oh my god! Like the hardest thing I've ever done in my life is rank his ten best films, and I disagreed with everyone on the team's ranking. But I had to. T- I literally used a math program to take the average of everyone's ranking, and that is what I came up with. So you can read that on Games Radar. <laughs> if you, you want to read genuine applied maths to Cage. You go to Lauren. Um, all the links in the description as per usual. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. So thank you, dear listener, for listening. If you have been, we will catch you in the next one. But until then, and as ever, keep on, keep on caging. It's all we have to do. Thank you. Take care and goodbye. Bye.